0: Sir, five
1: and five.
2: Welcome everyone to this internal conversation that we're recording for you. It's another kind of gathering of the transatlantic table at GMF. I'm Rachel Tausenfrein, host of Out of Order and the editorial director at GMF and I'm based in Berlin and I have three colleagues with me already on the call and Um, one who's joining briefly, and we're talking about the situation in Afghanistan and where transatlantic security cooperation goes from here. Um, To talk through this, we have um, three different national geographical perspectives in addition to my American Berlin perspective. Um, First of all, I'd like to introduce Alexandra de Hook-Scheffer. She is the director of our Paris office um, and also Director of Research for Security and Defense at GMF. Hi, Alexandra.
1: Hello. Uh,
2: Joining us from Warsaw is Michal Baranowski. He is the head of our Warsaw office. Uh, Thank you very much, Michal.
3: Great to be here with you.
2: And uh, last but not least and furthest west is Jonathan Katz, who is joining us from his uh, DC home office, looks like. Uh, Thank you very much, Jonathan.
0: Great to be here.
2: Um, and as I said, the director of our Ankara office um, Uzka, is going to join us shortly, but we're going to start with the kind of um, core European-American perspective. Uh, tomorrow is actually the officially last day of the U.S. presence in Afghanistan, uh, the last day of what has been, uh, I think no one would argue, uh, with it, the description of a very chaotic uh, withdrawal. Um the German forces, most of the European forces have already stopped their evacuation efforts um, in the past few days and we'll sort of see, it remains unclear uh, how the process of evacuating people will continue after tomorrow, but certainly um, it's it's not a good situation. We are not gonna focus on the security of Afghanistan um, now or in the future. Um, what we wanna talk about here is what it all means for for Europe and the US and the future of uh, military engagement and transatlantic cooperation. And Alexander, you wrote a piece for us. Uh, well, actually, you wrote it for the Le Monde, and we uh, we also published it on our website, um, basically making a pretty strong thesis of, um, of what this means, consequentially, for the future of U- US military engagement and what consequences that has for European allies. So if you could just sort of start with summarizing your argument, um, and then we're going to get the sort of DC comment from Jonathan Katz on it.
1: Sure. Thank you. Thank you, Rachel, for organizing this this podcast, and very happy to participate uh, in this conversation with my colleagues um, in Washington and uh, across uh, Europe. Um, I've been personally working as a scholar on the post nine eleven American military interventions in both Iraq Uh, and Afghanistan these last 20 years, uh, looking at um, both the strategic political implications of this military intervention. Um, I published the first book on Iraq in 2007 when the surge uh, was decided by the Bush administration. And I'm currently finishing my second book on how these interventions are changing, profoundly changing US global leadership and how this is impacting uh, the transatlantic relationship. And so, in the piece that I, I wrote just a few days ago, I was trying to show how the Taliban uh, swift uh, takeover and uh, the chaotic US uh, withdrawal were both marking an important geopolitical turning point. Uh, first and foremost, because um, it's a clear strategic defeat um, for the United States and, of course, its NATO allies, um, with long-term implications for their credibility, but also their ability to act elsewhere. Um, and also, I think it's an important time for transatlantic relationship because uh, what I would characterize as President Biden's fête accompli. Uh, policy in Afghanistan reminds U.S. allies, not only us Europeans and sitting here in Paris, but also Asian allies, uh, that, you know, we must increasingly assume our share of the burden of international security and not continue to build our foreign policies by relying indefinitely on American resources. So you're going to tell me, you know, this is a recurring debate, the so-called European strategic uh, autonomy debate, but I think this is something that we as Europeans need to take increasingly seriously and see how we can actually implement that in a much more concrete way than we have been doing um, these last uh, these last few years now i've been you know discussing a lot with american colleagues experts policymakers about the afghan situation these last few days there is a sort of um you know currently a sense in washington that uh you know we need to minimize uh and not uh over uh, estimate the impact of uh, this american withdrawal from afghanistan uh, you hear a lot in washington you know that anyway the united states was meant to withdraw uh, that afghanistan is part of the past that china is part of the future and that therefore the u.s needs to uh, focus on these more pressing challenges uh tech competition climate change etc which which i think is um uh, probably a too simplistic vision and probably uh, quite risky um, for two main reasons and then I'll I'll stop there uh, one because it truly downplays uh, the impact of the situation on the trust issue between the United States and its strategic allies. Um, I can tell you that this debate, this recurring question, can we trust the United States, is extremely, extremely strong here uh, in in Europe. Um, It's not a new debate. It's something that has been recurring, that has been much more acute in the post-9-11 Period, uh, you had you know the WMD issue in Iraq. You then had Obama's uh, red line uh, in Syria in two thousand and thirteen, which in France really resonated as exactly that question: Can we still rely on our American ally? And Afghanistan once again triggers that that question in a quite. Uh, dramatic, uh, dramatic way. Uh, And when you look at these 20 years of US military engagement in Afghanistan, uh, it has been 20 years of camouflage, if I use the military metaphor, um, of lies about the true state of the Afghan security forces, about the true level of violence in Afghanistan, about the true nature of the terrorist threat. Um, And I must say, it's very astonishing to hear President Biden's uh, speech, you know, just a few days ago before the awful uh, terrorist attack at the uh, Kabul airport saying, you know, uh, let me remind you that the American initial uh, mission was actually the fight against terrorism and to fight to, the, the to you know uh, to fight against Al Qaeda and make sure that Afghanistan doesn't re-become this safe haven for terrorist attack against the United States, um, and then you 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 see in a very concrete way that this t- this fight against terrorism is definitely not a mission accomplished, and, and this was very well known by the American uh, intelligence services. So there is a problem of, I would say, the credibility of American leadership. Can we count on what the U.S. president, of on what U.S. intelligence services, on what U.S. policymakers are sharing with the European allies? That, to me, is a true debate that we must have within the transatlantic relationship. And very lastly, and then I'll, I'll leave it to that for the um, uh, the first part, Um, you know, President Biden arrived at the White House with a big priority, which was to reset uh, the transatlantic relationship, uh, to rebuild trust and confidence in the transatlantic relationship after the Trump presidency. Um, And there again, Afghanistan is a very brutal reminder um, that we need to redefine the terms of this transatlantic relationship. We cannot continue on the traditional uh, pattern of U.S leading or dictating and European Europeans following. And I think that's both um, a sort of mission that both Washington, and European capitals need to um, discuss together. We Europeans need to have a very serious conversation on what does an operational decision-making, political strategic autonomy means in a context where American and European strategic interests don't always converge. And on the Washington side, I think there's a lot of expectations from Europeans to also consult much more with European allies, especially when it comes to strategic decisions like we are having uh, as an alliance uh, in, in Afghanistan. A lot of really important points there. I'm not sure we'll be able to get to all of them,
2: and especially when it comes to sort of what we thought was happening in Afghanistan in the past years, as opposed to how it seems like the situation on the ground really uh, was. But, but I think the two main points that uh, Alexander brought up, uh, Jonathan, are, um, are the questions of credibility in general, right? What does this sort of failed, uh, failed and chaotic withdrawal uh, mean in terms of uh, the future of U.S. credibility with its allies, with people who work with it? Um, There's this, I mean, this debate is happening in DC as well, partially along partisan lines, but partially in the foreign policy committee that uh, community, that there are people saying this is a credibility um, issue. And others um, are saying it's a shorter term issue, it it won't affect long term credibility. And then um, after that, um, maybe this point, I'll I'll focus, uh, I'll ask Michelle to focus on the second part, which is what it means for the Europeans, right? Because the Europeans, we always, you know, as if there is a Europe, there are Europeans who might be inter- interpreting these events differently, um, and so we'll get to that. But, but Jonathan, I want to direct the first question to you. Do you, do you think um, that there's a credibility conversation that needs to happen here in terms of um, Europeans, particularly in this case?
0: Yeah, I mean, Afghanistan. Look, it's a very unfortunate situation. You know, we're talking after you know 13 U.S. service members were killed. Um, just recently, and scores of Afghans, Um, and and I wouldn't, you know, obviously, this was not, um, this was not the exit, I think, that was planned uh, when NATO allies all signed up to withdraw from Afghanistan, all of them in consultation with President Biden in June. They were also very much aware of the Trump deal uh, the Trump administration deal with the Taliban, which many people here in Washington were deeply concerned about, and which you're hearing directly from, uh, from, uh, from even from Trump's own uh, past administration. Uh, so a lot of people were quite aware of, you know, sort of where the U.S. was going. President Biden in his interim strategy, national security strategy, laid out earlier this year, talked about ending forever wars pointing out specifically to Afghanistan. So it was it was quite known too that, that Biden you know had these positions. Did it go the way that they had hoped that it would go? Absolutely not uh, in terms of withdrawal. I think they've made up for it in the last several days by bringing out over 100,000 people uh, in, in an unprecedented way. Um, and also that's included coordination again with partners and allies. Um, but I, I, I would say, yeah, um, this is something that, that right now is being debated in Washington. Unfortunately, it's caught up in, in, in the politics of the moment, uh, but also I think how people are feeling, particularly in the U.S. when you look at, at, uh, at polling numbers, uh, when you look at what's taking place about forever wars, about Afghanistan, or what took place in Iraq, where you see the American public uninterested. In in this type of military engagement. With that said, I don't think that that the war on terrorism or efforts to address terrorism has changed a bit uh, in terms of how the U.S. will engage. We've already seen drone strikes. I think this administration will continue to focus, and I think the story of Afghanistan isn't isn't hasn't been written yet as well. And so I think that means that there'll continue to be engagement, but the U.S. has shifted, and the president uh, himself and his national security team laid out a vision of what they wanted to do early, much earlier this year. They've stuck to that strategy. There is a shift um, towards addressing some of the challenges they felt that the previous administration was not addressing. One of them was this credibility gap with allies and partners, which I think I I can't, uh, I don't think there's a a US president um, in the last 50 years that has spent as much time and effort Secretary of State Secretary of Defense engage in consulting over and over with European partners and allies to get on the same page. But there are definitely gonna be challenges. This is one of them. Um, And it didn't go the way that everybody planned. So it doesn't have to define the transatlantic relationship. I think that that will be defined by a number of other issues, how we deal with COVID-19 going forward, which is in the United States right now we have you know, record number of cases across the country. How do we deal with climate change? We had a massive uh, hurricane blow through New Orleans. We've seen a number of natural disasters globally that highlight these challenges. And, f- and frankly, from many perspective in Washington, nobody wants to see what happened after two decades. Um, and clearly, I think there's a number of lessons to be learned, including both for NATO and countries that participated as to why this didn't succeed. And we can certainly go into that. But I don't think there's an ally out there, particularly European allies, who thinks that Afghanistan was the number one priority uh, for the security of their country. There's a number of priorities. So if this administration uh, is shifting, it's shifting out of need, out of what we've seen over the last several years, whether we're focused on democracy globally and strengthening that. Uh, and I think very much January 6 is in the mind of this administration. And I think for allies and partners to not understand how that issue has shaken the core of US politics and how it looks forward is sort of missing the point. And I do think that the administration has consulted with partners and allies. I think that's a that's a mistake to say that. Um, and that consultation will continue uh, to happen. Uh, but this was definitely uh, something that, that partners need to look back and say, why didn't it work? How do we reshift our? our resources and our purpose to address challenges of, of today. And I think that's what's gonna happen with partners and allies. But I think uh, for the US uh, to be considered to be not a, and particularly this president, not somebody who you can count on from the European side, to me, seems a bit ridiculous, to be frank.
2: So um, picking up on what Jonathan said, I mean, so in Jonathan's view, the sort of long-term credibility issues are are, are, are not there. Um, or at least not uh, not in a grave way. Um, the U.S. has made it clear they have other longer term strategic priorities, um, and and that's just what's happening here. Despite you know everyone regretting how the withdrawal happened and that it was chaotic, but there's the the sort of separate issue. Michal, um, I'm going to go to you now about what it means in terms of cooperation with Europe. So you know NATO was not at the table when um, Trump negotiated the deadline to withdrawal and the withdrawal agreement. In the time in between, you know, NATO knew all the NATO members and the um, who were engaged in Afghanistan knew about this deadline. Um, But had they wanted, had they had different intelligence and thought, you know, things are going to unfold the way they did, um, it's questionable if they would have even had the capability to, you know, secure enough of Afghanistan to do a more orderly withdrawal. So um, there are, you know, there are those who are asking those questions. Is this another indication? And I think this would be, you know, part of Alexander's argument. This is just another example of um, Europe needing more capacity to work on its own without the U.S. in cases like this, on missions that you know they were engaged in. How has the debate been in Poland? And how would you see that? Um, how would you answer that question?
3: No, thank you, thank you, Rachel. And it's wonderful to be together with with, with colleagues from Paris, Washington, and, and Ankara. Um, uh, I think we have a couple debates going on in, in uh, Europe. It's not, you, as usually, we have a couple different tones to the debate. So, I'm, I'm you know, Alexandra presented uh, Paris. I, I, I think we have a, a shade of it in, in Berlin, and I'll try to bring Warsaw. By then, we will have a bit of a, uh, of a scope. Um, I think the key questions were both pointed out by Alexandra and, and Jonathan. Uh, one is credibility and trust i would also add uh, competence to this um and, but credibility in particular is in the eye of the beholder in a way and uh, and the lessons and there are various lessons being drawn here and i think there are some lessons that should not be drawn from here uh people were of course shocked with the humanitarian disaster and and the human cost uh but they were also um mindful and, and you know th- this debate is still ongoing uh and i think we need to be mindful of the difference level different level of commitment that u.s has to afghan government on one hand and to allies within nato or within uh, treaty allies in, in asia as well and i think that's a point that uh that is stressed here and i would stress this stress it as well i would not equate uh, this in a way that um, uh, that some race in the in the in the region um, they say you know that they abandon Afghanistan and therefore they can abandon us uh, you know on a dime and I think that's that's going several steps too far. But there is a and as they like to say there is a big but um, it, it's you know the, I, I actually would push back on what Jonathan said on the consultation. And and I think, you know, especially actually that this is not President Trump, which we would expect very little consultation, but it's the internationalist uh, President Biden and his team. This actually, you know, it was not uh, a a pretty picture uh, and and not the first one uh, of this administration in in Central and Eastern Europe. Many uh, remember recent developments around. Uh, U.S. German agreement around Nord Stream two, which was also not consulted. Um, so th- I think that shock came in uh, from 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 that. We would not have too much of a problem with this if the pull out, if the evacuation worked well. But because it's such a credible, incredible mass. Uh, this brings the question of of consultation uh, uh, as well. The other question is of competence. And that's, you know, but that's to us as it is to, to the US. How could it even happen then that the best uh, militaries, the best intelligence services uh, made that kind of, uh, and, and the best in the, set, in the end, most professional decision-makers made this kind of a uh, mistake in in assessment uh, of how things will turn out, resulting in in a really disastrous uh, disastrous up But I, then, I think where I would where the, where there is real difference, and I think and we'll see how this debate develops in between Paris, for example, and and Warsaw. Is you know what law, what uh, lessons do we draw from here? Uh, yes, it's another wake up call but i would say wake up call and then what and um, i would very much uh, like for our discussion in europe to be to turn into um in the, into a real direction of uh, building real european capabilities uh, creating a real european pillar of nato that would allow us to um to uh act alone if uh, us is not interested in acting alone but i'm wary that this debate will again turn into rhetoric rather than a, an action uh and that's you know and i think that's 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 something that most of the strategic community would here um agree on that yes it's a scratch uh, but it's not, you know, a final uh, mark of of marking uh, us uh, as a not, not credible power. Uh, and then let's let's get serious. What Europe can really put uh, put forward? That would be the a, a bit of a nuanced uh, uh, lesson drawn from from uh, from Afghanistan um, from from the Central European perspective. Although I would add one matter one one point that, in the, that maybe in the past would not be as apparent. And that's, you know, Afghanistan for us was a far away war where, where we went uh, in a large way uh, as, uh, as, a, as an ally and uh, because of commitment to other allies. But now that we pull out, uh, and now that we see Afghan uh, humanitarian disaster, we also see refugees. And we are actually seeing them now on the border of Poland. Uh, Belarus on top of everything. And Lukashenko is uh, actively uh, encouraging people to come from Iraq and Afghanistan. And it's creating humanitarian uh, crisis also on our borders, Lithuania and Latvia as well. So we that the migration crisis is something that will um, that we are actually surprisingly seeing it already in poland and of course it will impact um europe more broadly and, uh, and of course this is something that is an effect that will be much more visible and uh, uh in europe than in in the united states thanks
2: so uh michelle you gave me the Perfect segue. Uh, These conversations with colleagues are like so easy. I'm completely not necessary as a moderator because you're all like setting it up for uh, the person who follows. Um, Which I am sorry, I tried. Uh, That's the best I can do, Uska, is our head of the Ankara office. And uh, Michal just brought up uh, the issue of refugees um, from the sort of fallout of the Afghanistan withdrawal. And um, I mean, Turkey is uh, closer in the neighborhood. Um, you know, also an important NATO ally, but the situation probably looks a little bit different from um, your vantage point. So, I would be interested in sort of what are what are the you know, implications now, and what does it mean, probably uh, specifically for relations with Europe in, in the near terms of dealing with the consequences.
4: Thank you Thank very much, Rachel. Uh, as a matter of fact, Michal uh, made an excellent transition uh, into what I would like to say. Uh, Michal said that Afghanistan was a faraway war uh, that Poland participated as part of its commitments to its allies. Uh, for Turkey, it was never uh, a faraway war. Uh, only Iran uh, lies uh, between Afghanistan and Turkey, and Iran is really not the type of buffer. Uh, you would like to have. Uh, As we're speaking about the humanitarian situation uh, and refugees, uh, let me indicate that uh, President Erdogan uh, last week uh, announced that there are 300,000 Afghan refugees uh, in Turkey. They did not all come after uh, what happened uh, in Afghanistan. They were coming already. And some of the Afghan refugees in Turkey were actually in Iran uh, before coming to Turkey and there, there are suspicions in Ankara uh, that Iran may actually be f- funneling them uh, to Turkey uh, as a, as a uh, trump card uh, to use in negotiations uh, with Turkey. But in any case, uh, Turkey is uh, facing another uh, major uh, refugee crisis uh, after the Syrian refugee crisis. Here, I would like to also uh, say a few words about what uh, Afghanistan, is turning into, because uh, some people uh, make arguments based on the assumption that we will see one Afghanistan uh, ruled by one Taliban, and the only problem uh, is that Taliban is a radical organization. So only if Taliban moderates itself, as some hope, uh, the problem uh, can can actually be mitigated. But this cannot be farther uh, from the reality. Afghanistan is not turning into one country uh, that will be governed by one Taliban. It's true that Taliban has become the strongest political force in the country, but they will not be able to control uh, all of the Afghan territory. So there will be uh, pockets of no man's land uh, where not only uh, Daesh, uh, as we're recently witnessing, but even uh, terrorist organizations uh, organizations that have not heard of or restorations be formed in the future uh, will find a safe haven uh, and they will threaten uh, not only the neighboring countries uh, such as uh, Russia, China, Iran, India, in, uh, in a sense uh, and and uh, European countries, uh, but also even the Taliban itself. So it's not, uh, it's, it's not becoming Taliban's land. Uh, first of all. Second, uh, we won't see a united Taliban government, uh, because the only uh, uniting uniting element uh, in the uh, Taliban movement is actually radicalism. If you take out radicalism, uh, Taliban is is as diverse and as ungovernable uh, as Afghanistan itself. Afghanistan is a uh, a super tribal society and uh, various Taliban Uh, groups at the local level uh, will need to harmonize themselves uh, with the tribal realities uh, in their regions. So whatever uh, the central Taliban administration uh, takes decisions uh, at the local level, uh, those decisions will not always uh, be implemented uh, by the uh, local branches. So like if you look from China's perspective, yes, they can actually uh, make a deal uh, with the Taliban administration at the central level, but it does not protect them uh, from Taliban at the local level uh, Other organizations that are not uh, controlled by Taliban. So Afghanistan is actually now turning into a black hole. Uh, What the United States is leaving behind is not a gift uh, to China or Russia uh, that they can exploit, Uh, rather a black hole that will suck in the energies of countries uh, such as Russia, China, Iran, and India in the foreseeable future. Turkey is also in proximity to Afghanistan, uh, so uh, is turning into a huge problem uh, for all of us, uh, including uh, Russia, China, and Iran. Uh, and I, first of all, uh, agree with Jonathan uh, that lessons learned uh, is very important here, uh, what we have learned, what lessons we have learned. I think we should draw lessons from the last 20 years i think we are drawing lessons we have been drawing this uh, from the last 20 years this actually marks the end of an era i mean the era is not ended uh last week but this actually ends the uh, marks the end of an era uh that we could call the uh, post september 11 era maybe in it maybe in the longer run we could talk about the end of the post post cold war era as well uh, we are witnessing a major uh, new situation uh that is Uh, Changing actually global balances uh, significantly. And I think that we should spend time uh, on uh, how we actually coordinate uh, again uh, to face these new challenges uh, that we are across now.
2: I'm I'm actually going to pick up on that um, and merge it with uh, Michelle's point about, you know, there's new realizations, there's new, I don't know, energy around the idea that. there needs to be a rebalance and Europe needs uh, more capacity. Um, I think I'll go to you first, Alexandra, on this idea of, you know, what what are the things that, that the European partners in the NATO context or in the EU context, uh, given that this was a NATO mission, though, maybe in the NATO context, should be thinking about doing uh, in reaction to this. Um, also, in terms of the, the situation that Turkey is going to be facing, that other uh, neighbors are going to be facing. So the sort of immediate uh, questions of stability, terrorism, um, refugees, um, and the kind of five-year plan of um, of making plans to change something. I mean, what what do you think could be on the table here?
1: Well, in, in the nature of context, I mean, um, an alliance um, is strong when it's two main pillars, uh, predictability and solidarity. Uh, are strong. And uh, you've seen in the Afghan context, but in the more broader strategic context, that these two pillars have become much more vulnerable these last two, uh, two decades. Um, in the Afghanistan context, you had these, you know, what has become known as the NATO caveats, right? Uh, where different nations had decided uh, uh, not to go into in, in too much, too, too risky uh, regions in Afghanistan and not do the hard fighting uh, missions, and other were willing to take over these missions. So already during the NATO mission, Uh, These different caveats, uh, the French uh, withdrawal from Afghanistan, which uh, began in 2011 and ended in 2014, this already has fragilized these two pillars of NATO, predictability and solidarity. So I think these two, these are really the lessons that we need to be working on after this Afghanistan um, um, uh, mission. Um, and how to do that uh, Rachel, you're right um, uh, to say that uh, Europeans uh, need to to get their their act together. Uh, this is a unfortunately a very, very slow uh, process. Um, as you know, France has been uh, particularly vocal uh, on the autonomy strategic, on the strategic uh, autonomy, uh, not because uh, uh, we are thinking of that as uh, something that would be against uh, uh, Washington. It's not strategic autonomy uh, from the United States, But what we are trying to do as as the French strategic community is to have Europeans, Polish, um, German, Belgians, um, Swedish um, uh, colleagues focus on what do we want to do as Europeans? What are our core strategic priorities today? On which issues do we want to lead? or co-lead with the United States. And I think this is an interesting way if you think of Biden's agenda of resetting the transatlantic relationship. It's really about how to rethink the transatlantic relation in a much more co-leadership way. How do we co-lead with our American partners on common strategic uh, challenges, right? And and this is something I think that we have not been doing enough as uh, transatlantic uh, uh, partners. Wars in Bosnia in Libya have clearly demonstrated the inability of Europeans to actually do anything serious without the Americans. And that's something that we cannot continue to do or not doing, in fact. It's not normal that Europeans cannot evacuate their own citizens from Afghanistan without American uh, logistics assistance, support uh, and material. We should be able to carry out these missions as Europeans without American support. So these questions are very concrete questions that we need to be tackling as as Europeans, right? Um, And this is typically the questions Uh, that are being raised and debated within the so-called process of the EU strategic compass, which is really about focusing on the EU strategic priorities and what tools do you need to be developing. And very lastly, the Afghanistan withdrawal, the withdrawal also from uh, Iraq that has been validated by Biden shows that there is, in fact, and I think we all agree here around the table, uh, that there is a long-term strategic trend in U.S. foreign policy, uh, which is that there's going to be less appetite uh, to intervene in conflicts in in these types of uh, of very complex uh, uh, settings, Um, also in conflicts in the neighborhoods that could impact Europe. And that's where I would end um, and give a concrete uh, response your question, Rachel, is that when we think of strategic decision-making, political, diplomatic autonomy for Europeans, we should be focusing first and foremost on uh, our neighborhoods. Uh? And, uh, and Afghanistan is actually part of our neighborhood, right? Uh, we think of it as something far away, Uh, But as Osgur uh, and Michal reminded, uh, this is something that directly concerns our uh, security, uh, uh, political uh, interests uh, as well. So I I would end up with with that. Um, Afghanistan is just, you know, another... Thing that adds up to this debate about strategic autonomy. And I agree with Michal. I'm not sure that this will even help Europeans to actually implement it in a concrete way. Uh, but we should first and foremost focus on us, on Europeans. What are our key strategic challenges today? Where do we need to develop um, a more common vision, common approach to deal with these challenges? And how do we plug in NATO within the EU framework in partnership with the United States or in partnership with other countries to deal with these challenges? So we need to, if I, and I'll really end up here, to think of our alliances today in a much more hybrid way to, to be able uh, to have different um, coalitions of the willings and of the ables to be able to respond with increasingly hybrid global challenges. So, uh,
2: Michal, your comment on that, the idea of maybe a hybrid thinking about transatlantic security cooperation, because um, in my estimation, I would say, you know, Warsaw has been in the camp of thinking "Mm, hybrid, maybe as long as the US is uh, always involved, uh, then we're okay with hybrid. and with the sort of related question of, you know, this being another piece after um, after the election of Trump, after you know um, Iraq, uh, underscoring the urgency of, you know, first of all, I would say uh, increasing agreement about the need for more capacity in Europe. At least that's the German debate. The the there is a lot more consensus than there was five years ago about Germany needing to be able to do more. Um, and so I wonder if, if the trajectory seems to be as clear um, in, in Warsaw um, and, and if you, you know, would get on board with um, some of the suggestions that um, Alexandra, I mean, we have to wait also to end of September and see what happens in Germany. This is always an important question, um, yeah. but you know, where's Warsaw on this?
3: Look, I, I think we are really across Europe in agreement when it comes to capabilities. Uh, you know this is um that that europe needs to be able to do more in all the areas actually that that the um the mission in afghanistan and our inability to stay there without the americans showed um uh, intelligence support uh, and uh logistic logistics as well so so this is and many others right i mean there have been very good studies outlining what Europe would need to uh, get so we are very much on the same page when it comes to capabilities we are not on the same page when it comes to naming it so i'm just going to skip it uh for right now but i think there is something interesting also you know i just want to connect with something that alexandra said you know we are also in warsaw convinced that we need to be able to act in our neighborhoods but we actually want to be able to act in the eastern neighbourhood as well, right? So um, it's f- for from Warsaw's perspective, it would be certainly insufficient if Europe focused on um, uh, capabilities and strategic culture and 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 command and control that would able to deal with the uh, Malis, Libyas, Afghanistan's of uh, the. Of, of you know of, of the future uh, we really have to then have a, a, a question of what do we do with the Moldova's Ukraines or God forbid um, something in the uh, article 5 territory and that's when it again comes back for the moment to uh, to Americans uh, because uh one they and only they have the capabilities. Uh, and that's that is just the fact for for the moment, but then there is also a second piece that is that is much more tricky and is perhaps shifting uh, a bit, uh, but with different conclusion also in Central Eastern Europe, which is which is the credibility and political will or the faith that uh, your allies will um, will act and. Um, and, and you know we are still building this as Europe, but there is a lot of people uh, in Warsaw who would say, "Hey, can we really trust Paris and Berlin?" I'm just being very blunt because no one, you know, I mean, people think it, people know that the others are thinking it, but no one would, would say it. Uh, now, partially because of Afghanistan, there are more people who will say also, "Can we trust DC?" and and um, now, it's not a good thing, right? That this would scare us into working um, uh, into working with Europe. We, though this is probably the high British or, you know, altogether model. Uh, the, the interesting piece of the Polish debate though, it's this reality that I just explained of not being sure if you can, you know, what Washington, Paris and Berlin are all thinking, creates uh, actually a debate in which Poland turns to, Turkey um, looking at Osgr R is really talking about a very serious um, uh, modernization program beyond perhaps what would be uh, you know we live in a da- dangerous neighborhood but perhaps beyond what would be uh, um, necessary if you if you really count on the alliances as well so it it, it creates a very real. Uh, and, and, a, and a tricky for the moment strategy conversation in, in Poland as well because these uh, are um, uh, existential issues. These are not theoretical. These are existential issues from the perspective of Warsaw, especially as we are, you know, um, looking to to having two hundred thousand Russian and Belarusian soldiers on our borders in uh, September for the Zapad um, Zapad exercise. So.
2: Again, Michel, you set it up perfectly for me to go to Uska. Uska, um, this is going to be your uh, concluding uh, couple of minutes, and then Jonathan, I'm going to get you in right at the end very briefly because uh, okay. we have a we have a hard deadline. So, I mean, Michel mentioned trust first of all, Uska, which um, we know that uh, trust in Turkey of all of its uh, partners in NATO is lower. Um, and actually reciprocally lower than um, in the oh, other yeah. countries. Our Transatlantic Trends Survey um, said this, um, and it's a result we've seen a few different times. Um, and he also mentioned that, you know, it's, it's an ex- existential question. So, um, you know, my question is, what is Turkey going to be looking to get from its NATO partners? Um, you know, in in the near future to help it be feel a little bit more secure and a little bit more supported by um, the allies who have withdrawn from uh, the neighboring country.
4: Uh, thank you, Rachel. Uh, Turkey is in an interesting situation uh, because as, as you have said, I mean, trust of Turkish society uh, towards allies is very low, uh, but also trust towards Turkey uh, in Europe and the United States uh, is also very low. So there is a crisis of trust uh, between uh, Turkey and allies, this is not a new thing, and this is actually turning into policy. Uh, if you if you analyze Turkish foreign policy uh, during the last decade, or uh, perhaps even a uh, little longer, uh, you can see that where Turkey sees it cannot uh, solve its security problems uh, with allies, uh, Turkey has not uh, st- has has not shied away uh, from cooperating uh, with. Uh, rivals of the transatlantic uh, alliance, uh, such as cooperation or mutual accommodation uh, with Russia and Iran in Syria. uh, Turkey did this uh, because Ankara's assessment was, there was no way uh, Turkey's uh, transatlantic allies uh, were going to help Turkey or reassure Turkey against the terrorist threat uh, that it's facing. Uh, So, you know, actually the most acute example, uh, but I think that we may see more of this trend in Afghanistan as well. It's clear uh, that the current government in Ankara wants to play a significant role in Afghanistan. I mean, uh, so Mihal and also Alexandra was talking about capacity. I really doubt Turkey has the capacity to play any meaningful role in Afghanistan, but uh, that's Ankara's intention. Uh, so. Uh, Ankara wants to uh, wants to control, wants to uh, secure the airport in Kabul and also manage uh, the airport. I mean, we were uh, negotiating with the United States. Uh, now we are negotiating with the Taliban uh, on this issue. Uh, Turkey already uh, has working relations uh, with Pakistan, uh, which has considerable clout uh, over Taliban. Uh, so Turkey will probably uh, use its good offices with Pakistan uh, to play some role uh, in Afghanistan uh, to protect its interests there. Uh, Turkey also has a growing relation with China. Uh, So I can imagine uh, Turkey uh, finding ways uh, to cooperate with China uh, to protect its interests in Afghanistan. And Turkey already has a compartmentalized relationship uh, with Russia uh, with which it has a a competitive cooperation mode of relationship. if need be, uh, Turkey could even cooperate with Russia uh, in Afghanistan. And none of this is good, uh, but all of this is a result of uh, not only Ankara's preferences, uh, but the fact uh, that the transatlantic community right now uh, is very uh, disorganized. And uh, one, one last thought from me, we have been talking about capacity and Europe, uh, let's say increasing uh, its military capacity, which would be great, but I think that if we lost in Afghanistan, we did not lose because we did not have uh, military capacity. I mean, the United States has incomparable uh, military capacity uh, uh, in the world, uh, so they did not have uh, any lack of capacity. And as a matter of fact, uh, EU member states, uh, among them, have uh, have a significant military capacity as well. Uh, but I think the problem uh, was our lack of realism. Again, go back twenty years. Uh, we were going to create new nations. Uh, we were going to democratize the whole of the Middle East. Uh, we were going to persuade Muslims uh, that there is actually a better uh, version of Islam, uh, which is moderate Islam, and they should abandon their own beliefs and follow uh, moderate Islam uh, as we imagined uh, to be. As a matter of fact, uh, Turkey was maybe too secular, uh, so it should become a little bit more conservative uh, so that it could be a role model. Uh, for uh, the rest of the Islamic world. And how did all of this end? It ended terribly, uh, not because we did not have capacity, uh, but because we, did, we were not realistic. So in the future, when we are imagining as NATO, when we are imagining uh, new missions, uh, first of all, we should pick more realistic goals. Uh, and second, we should have clear exit strategies uh, that are not like three decades in the future. Uh, We should have an exit strategy uh, for the next five years, maybe. I mean, three decades or two decades is unacceptably long uh, for for an operation, for a mission uh, that will be implemented uh, by an alliance. So I think it's not military capacity. It's it's realism uh, that we need.
2: Jonathan, I'm going to give uh, the last sentence to you. Um, I mean... What Oskar is saying, to, to me, it aligns up a bit with your first comment, which is messy and unfortunate, but maybe what we are seeing is a U.S. shift to a more realistic uh, approach to foreign policy.
0: Yeah, I think this was, um, actually, I think the Obama administration coming after the George W. Bush, Bush administration tried to bring this into play. There was a lot of discussion then of how to move forward from Afghanistan and Iraq. So Oscar's not wrong. In fact, I was part of the debate on the Hill back in early 2000 saying, We, you know, keep your eye on Afghanistan, not looking at Iraq, making certain that we know what our goals are clear. Um, and then two decades later, several thousand killed, two trillion spent, um, and sort of what the outcome we have, it, it probably wasn't realistic. But with that said, you know, there's an opportunity now to shift to, I think, what the priorities are. I think also, I, I can't imagine if you're sitting in, Paris, or you're sitting in Warsaw, or in Ankara, that they're not concerned about some of these top level issues that are going to be a challenge for any government. And I did lastly want to say, I think it's so important that the European internal debate be part of the conversation. I think it was brought up amongst, uh, uh, you know, my colleague in Warsaw said it uh, best too, when you think about Nord Stream 2, think about the consortium that makes up Nord Stream 2, that developed it, Uh, Think about this as a pipeline that goes to Germany. This is a a neighbor of Poland, you know, and so I know there's a lot of angst towards the United States. We have President Zelensky in Washington today, you know, and I think this administration trying to to try to take that particular issue move on in the right direction, but it's really important that Europe itself knows where it's going And Alexandria too, just on the on the pillars. One of the main pillars that's impacted NATO internally is the issue of democracy. And when I think about governments, including both in Turkey and Warsaw, I think one of the bigger challenges is about how do you deal with democratic backsliding in a weakened alliance that doesn't maybe share the same values. So I wanted to end with that because that is a Biden administration priority, but it requires partners to work together. And when you look at the current government in Poland, that that spent so much time and effort to court President Trump that maybe shares some of his proclivities in terms of how it views both politics and the issues of democracy. You could want, you could see why there might be some friction between Washington and Warsaw. But Poland could have elections soon, Turkey as well. You could have shifts politically that bring in new governments um, and also a new perspective on engagement and security. So this is going to be an ever-shifting vehicle in Alexandria, I would say there isn't anybody in the US, I can't imagine that doesn't want to see Europe pick up more of a security burden and share um, of that. Um, I think those debates from the 2000s have shifted greatly. You know, if that happens, uh, great. I don't think anybody in this administration would say they wouldn't want to see that. I would just say, at least with this administration, you can see even including sending more troops to, to Europe, um, also shifting in asia there is a strategic plan um, i hope born out of this last couple of weeks we all get a dose of realism that oskar spoke about uh, we won't get into directly to all the challenges of u.s turkish relations but but realism i think with this administration um go back take a look at that interim national security strategy it's really about realism it's about you know sort of addressing the challenges i think the president said we're not dealing with the same world that we dealt with Thirty years ago, 15 years ago, and even four years ago, it's a much different landscape. If we're not working together, um, these bigger challenges are going to just not be addressed. So I hope Afghanistan is a wake-up call for all of us.
2: Well, let's hope it's a wake-up call that, as Michal said, is followed by some real um, action. And uh, the European part of that is not going to be the easiest part, and yet we will continue to try. We have, uh, as I already mentioned, important elections that'll Uh, influence that in less than a month. So uh, thank you everyone for uh, joining to talk about this timely issue with big long-term implications.